very profound passage in Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 where uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the furnace unless they bow down. And they say, we know God is able. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will still worship him. To know that God is able and that he doesn't is a very profound thought that you love him more than the outcomes of your life. That is the ultimate in love and faith. That it's not just based on what he does for you, but it's based on who he is. So that song made me think of that, so thank you. It's Daniel chapter 3 is where that comes from. Anyway, talking about consecration. <clears throat> There's a, uh, a great Broadway play out now. Uh, I'm sure some of you know about it and some of you don't. It's called Hamilton, an American musical. It's a popular Broadway musical that mixes hip-hop, R&B, pop, soul, and traditional show tunes. And it has achieved both critical acclaim and box office success, even though the subject matter is about Alexander Hamilton, one of the Revolutionary War founding fathers of our country. You would not think that that translates well into Broadway and hip-hop and R&B, but it does. The musical, Hamilton, made its Broadway debut in August of 2015. And in 2016, it received a record-setting 16 Tony Award nominations, winning 11 of them, for be one of them being Best Musical. It also won a Grammy for Best Musical Theater and a Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It recently, a month ago, had a touring company in Orlando. Now, being that we used to live in Orlando, and I have a lot of friends in Orlando, and they post things online, I saw that many of them wanted to go to this touring company of Hamilton in Orlando, and I, too, wanted to go in, but I, I saw what some of them were saying online. Some of them waited in line for four to five hours to get to the box office. Some people waited over 10 hours in a virtual online, virtual line online, and some of them paid over $500 for their ticket. Now, Pastor Joe's not that rich, so I decided I would not... Uh, spend that kind of money. But let's imagine, travel with me in your mind, if you would, that I too wanted to go see Hamilton in Orlando. But I didn't feel like waiting in a, a line, either a real line outside the Dr. Phillips box office or a virtual online. I felt like being who I am, that I could just show up at the box office and get a front row ticket for myself. So imagine, in your mind, travel with me if you will, that I go to the Dr. Phillips Center where Hamilton is playing on opening night. And I stroll up to the box office and I say, one ticket for the front row, please. And they say, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have any tickets left. And I say, what's that you say? Do you know who I am? And they say, we don't care who you are, sir. We don't have any tickets left. So now, I don't know what to do. I'm in, as they say, a conundrum. Because I have a lot of friends back in Savannah that I bragged to that I was going to see Hamilton in Orlando. 
And now suddenly I can't get in. And I must tell you that Pastor Joe was a bit embarrassed about this whole thing. And as I'm standing outside the theater, I get an idea. I go up to one of the merchandise tables, or as the kids call it, one of the merch tables, and I buy the program for Hamilton. And I buy a t-shirt which says, Hamilton. And I buy the CD. It's a double CD of Hamilton. And I go back to Savannah. And I learn all the songs. The swinging dance moves. The raps. The gestures. I wear the t-shirt everywhere I go. I carry around the program to show people. I bust the moves and the raps. As the kids would say. And you've never seen anybody bust a move until you've seen me bust one. And I'm not talking about a veggie rap. I'm talking about a real rap. Yo, yo. Hamilton. Yo. And everybody is suitably and understandably impressed with me. As they should be. But oh, the emptiness and the hollowness inside as I try to convince everyone that I have seen Hamilton and that I know Hamilton when deep down inside only I am aware that I haven't seen it at all. And I don't know it personally. I only have the t-shirt and the program and the CD and the moves. I have the form of it, but not the power from knowing it. You see, that's also what it's like when we claim to know Jesus as Lord and we don't really know Him. You can know the words. You might not even need to use the screen when we put the words up on the screen. You might know the words. You might sing the songs. You might wear the t-shirts. You might do the religious raps. You might go through all the motions and look as good as anybody else. But in the end, if you don't know Christ personally, your experience is hollow and empty and you will have this quiet anxiety as you move about the Christian world that people will sense that you are faking it and that you have a lack of authenticity about you and you will soon be discovered to be a fake. Am I preaching to myself today? Because the reality isn't about the words or the motions or the raps. It's about knowing and being known by Christ. So as we continue in this third week in February in this consecration series, we come to see, as we shall read, it is not our words which show our consecration to God. It's not even our actions. It's something shockingly more than that. So turn to Matthew 7 to the passage right before the passage that my friend Ruth read so beautifully well. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Un pregunto para ti. Is it all right to read my Bible in church? Mm -hmm. 
Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Here, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Here at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ends his beautiful remarks with the Beatitudes and the set your treasures in heaven and and, uh, live from the heart and all these beautiful things he talks about. He ends this whole thing with these surprising remarks that I just read to you. And then a beautifully, wonderfully well-known parable that Miss Ruth read to you about building on the foundation. So there are three things in the passage that I read to you that Jesus says. One, saying the right words doesn't show me him. Saying the right words doesn't show me that you are a devoted follower of Christ. Just saying the right words. Even calling him Lord. Because when they say, Lord, Lord, in fact, it says that twice, Lord, Lord, that's the right word to use. It's a very respectful word. It's a word that would be used about a master. It's a, it's a respectful, reverent word. It's the word that you would use about the Roman emperor. It's not the word for God, but it's a very reverential word. They are calling him appropriately, Lord, Lord. So it wasn't just the words that would get them to heaven. It must be something more than words. That's one of the words he, one of the things that he's saying. Secondly, he says, doing good works will not show you to be a devoted follower of Christ because these people are doing wonderful works. They're prophesying. They're casting out demons. They're performing miracles. But it must be more than good works, according to this passage. It's not what you say, and it's not what you do. And it's like, well, what do I have left other than what I say and what I do? That is me. I'm walking and I'm talking. What more is it you want me to do, Lord? And, and, but thirdly, he says, it's obeying God's will. Because he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So this must be the ticket that gets us into the heavenly Broadway show. It's not my words alone. It's not even my actions alone or in conjunction to my words. It's obedience to God. It's an obedience to God that reveals to Him that I know Him as He knows me. So that these horrible words... Depart from me. I never knew you. I pray that those words will never be said to any of us here by our Lord Jesus. Depart from me. I never knew you. 
when I know him and I am known by him, I am consecrated to him. Remember that the word consecration means set apart for a holy use. Set apart for God. Now we know that he knows us. So when we get to know him, it will be reflected in our words. So we might say the same words, Lord, Lord. We might do the same things, miracles in his behalf, but it's the knowing. And it's in the the words and the actions and in the knowing that leads us to this sense of consecration. Not to win our salvation from God, but as a result of our salvation from God. Not to make Him love me, but because He loves me. When you realize He loves you, you want to love Him back. And that's when you get to know Him as He knows you. You see, we can deceive ourselves into believing that we're following and obeying like you might have pretended like me that you've seen Hamilton when you have not. But I'll tell you, my friends, self-deception is a very dangerous thing. Jesus in this passage, in this whole entire sermon, he's not speaking to irreligious people. These people aren't heretics, they aren't anti-God, they aren't atheists. These are religious people, but they're on the wrong road and they're self-deluded. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, as Paul says. Jesus is saying that many of those who think they're ready and possess the ticket to get in aren't really ready and possessing a ticket. This is the ultimate Delusion. You can be deluded about a lot of things, but to be deceived by yourself about yourself is like believing you went to see Hamilton because you have the t-shirt and the CD and the wraps. You see, this Matthew 7 passage is, is chilling, really. It's, it's scary. It should be shocking to you when you read this, and it says, it's not what you say, And it's not what you do, it's in your obedience to me. It should make you do some soul searching to look at it and say, where am I in relation to what this passage is saying? The kingdom of God is not for those who merely talk a talk. And if you've done something, that won't win your ticket in either. No amount of religious activity will gain you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's not just saying it with your words. It's not just doing it. It's obeying because you know Him and you are known. And you say the right things and you do the right things because you know Him and you love Him. Think of this illustration. One of the... the, um, small minor irritations in my life has been my last name. Just that it's not a normal name like Smith or Jones or Johnson. My last name is Wamak. W-A-M-A-C-K. It's not hard to pronounce like some long thing with 27 consonants, but it's not easy to pronounce. But it has been a blessing 
in this age of telemarketers, if I get a phone call and the man or woman on the other end says, hello, is this Mr. And then they pause. Is this Mr. Waymack? I go, I'm not lying. I go, no, this isn't Mr. Waymack. But see, that pause right there lets me know that they don't know me. They're acting like they know me. No, I'm not insulted. I've been called all kinds of things in my life. Some of them I can't say because public decorum would forbid it. I've been called Wombat, Warwick, Walmart. The, best, the one I usually get is Womac. I think it's because when people saw me, they go, whoa, Mac. Can't blame them. It's like the ticket office people at Hamilton. I just thought they'd let me in, you see. So when somebody calls me and they act like they know me, but then they don't even know my name, I know that they don't really know me. They're acting like they know me, but they don't really know me. It's a fake knowing. Hey, how you doing? What are you trying to sell me? Are you trying to sell me sighting, an extended car warranty, a water softener? Am I alone in these telemarketers? So if you have a weird last name, be thankful. Because the minute they mess it up, you see, like, see, you're Larry Smith. You got nowhere to go. Is this Larry Smith? Yes, it is. How would you like a new water softener, sir? Can I walk with you just a minute, sir? Is the lovely missus in the home? So I guess I should thank God that I have a slightly unusual last name. Because of the way I'm going to end these conversations from now on, I'm going to go very biblical on them, and I'm going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. The only problem is I don't have a house phone anymore. I can't slam it down, you see. It's hard to slam down your cell phone. I must get literally two or three calls a day that I don't answer. And they're all, every now and then I go, okay, this has got to be somebody I know. Hello, sir. We're calling about your car warranty. Why does everybody care about my car and the extended warranty? Leave my car alone. But you see, they don't know me. In a similar way, our knowing things about Jesus doesn't mean that we know him. It hinges, hinges on relationships. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. The word in there is know. <coughs> John uses the word know like twice as much as any of the other Gospels. And I wish that this passage was in John because it would emphasize my point. This word know is a very K-N-O-W, know, it's a very intimate word, if I might say. It implies to understand, to perceive, but it's also a word used about sexual intimacy. It means to know somebody. Remember the story in, in uh, Genesis? And Adam knew Eve. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel comes to Joseph and he says, Your wife, Mary. She's going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and Joseph knew Mary not until the birth of the baby. It's implying this intimacy that comes from being united to somebody. 
So this is eternal life, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And when Jesus says in this passage in Matthew 7, depart from me because I don't know you. I'm not intimate with you. I haven't been spending any time with you. You haven't shared your heart with me. You haven't laid yourself bare before me. You got the wraps and the t-shirt and the CD and the program, but you didn't really experience it. You see, self-deception, self-delusion is a dangerous thing because it gives you the illusion that all is well that life is good, that there's not a freight train bearing down on you as you walk on the tracks. There's always some story, I read this a couple weeks ago, somebody was killed on the railroad tracks, walking on railroad tracks, and when they found them, they were wearing headphones. Why people would walk on railroad tracks wearing headphones, I'm assuming listening to music, I don't understand that. So there's a train bearing down on them, but they don't know it because they assume that everything's well. They're listening to probably Hamilton. The greatest danger for us is not the flagrant outward sins that are so common in this world. Those might be dangerous. Those might be unhealthy. Those might lead you down the wrong path. Those might not be good for you spiritually, physically, emotionally. But the sin of self-deception is so deceiving as it causes you to live a lie while believing that the lie is true. And as I wrote that, it made me think of George Costanza from Seinfeld. I'm a Seinfeld fan. And George says to Jerry one time, it's not a lie, Jerry, if you think it's true. And there's people that probably believe that. If you believe it, even though it's not true, if you believe it, then it's not really a lie. That's self-deception. Self-deception will not lead you anywhere that you want to go. Knowing Christ and knowing His will and doing His will is what consecrates you to Him. It consecrates every part of who you are. Who owns you? He owns you. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought at a price. You were not your own. Therefore, because you were bought at a price... And because you are not your own, therefore, honor God with your body. If anybody ever asks you to explain the Seventh-day Adventist health message and you got 20 seconds to do it, read them that verse. I'm not my own. I'm bought at a price. Therefore, I'm going to honor God with my body. That's it. It's like, a, it's like a slug to the stomach and then a, you know, a left hook. That's all you need. Secondly, not only does he own us, but he owns all of our possessions because we are consecrated to him. He owns all of our stuff. Your home, your money, your time, your attention. If you think about it, that means he owns you in your entirety. He owns your family. He owns your dog. He owns your cat. He owns your car. You're just borrowing all of it. None of it will last. 
Think about the parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the pearl of great price. Excellent little two-verse parable. And if you want to read a great book, read the book called The Pearl by John Steinbeck. Excellent book. It's about a fisherman who finds a pearl and how it affects his life. It's only about 100 pages long. Excellent book. The Pearl by John Steinbeck. So imagine that story of the pearl. Man finds a pearl. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a merchant and he's looking for fine pearls. And when he finds a pearl of real worth, he sells everything he has to buy the pearl. This is in Matthew 13, by the way, the parable. So when this man finds the pearl and he wants it, he discovers it will cost him everything. Now imagine that the story goes something like this. The man marvels at such a pearl. Another man owns it. And this man wants it. And so the man marvels at such a fine pearl. And he says to the seller who owns the pearl, Oh, I want that pearl. How much does it cost? And the seller says it costs dearly. And the man says, well, how much will it cost me? And the man goes, well, it's very expensive. Well, do you think I can buy it? And the seller says, well, of course, anybody can buy it. Well, how can anybody buy it if it's expensive? And the seller says, it costs everything you have. Therefore, everybody can buy it. They just must give God everything. The man says, okay, I'll buy that. And the seller says, well, what do you have? And he goes, well, I've got $10,000 in the bank. And the seller says, okay, he'll take that. What else do you have? He goes, well, not much. I have a few dollars in my wallet. Well, how much do you have? I've got about $30. Okay, that's fine. I'll take that too. What else do you have? He goes, I don't have anything else. That's all. He goes, well, where do you live? He goes, well, I live in a house. Okay, he'll take that too. You mean the house? If he takes my house, I, won't, I guess I'll have to sleep in the garage. He goes, oh, he'd like to have that too. Well, if I gave him the garage, I'll have to sleep in my car. Oh, you have a car. How many do you have? I got two. Okay, he'll take both. He goes, wow, you're taking everything I have. I don't have anything left. He goes, well, are you alone in the world? He goes, well, no, i got a wife and two children. Okay, he'll take them too. You mean he's going to take my wife and my two kids? I have nothing else. I'll be all alone. He goes, okay, well, he'll take you too. Everything becomes his. Wife, children, house, garage, cars, money, clothing, everything, and you too. And then the man says to him, the seller says to the man wanting to buy the pearl, he says, the good news is you can use all these things. You can keep them and use them, but don't forget who owns them. When I, the seller, Jesus, need any of these things that you are using, you must give them back to me without hesitation because they are mine. They're not yours. They're mine because I got them from you in exchange for the pearl of great price. So when we know Jesus, when you have seen his beauty for yourself, not based on what someone else told you, even though we have fine Sabbath schools, we have fine homes, we have fine schools, we have fine church, at some point, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls, 
You have to study this out and come to know Christ for yourself. Your mama can't do it. Your daddy can't do it. Your abuelita can't do it. Your brother and sister can't do it. You have to come to know Jesus Christ for your Savior as yourself. As your Savior for yourself. Did I say that right? You must see His holiness, His beauty, His patience with you, His perfection, His calmness, His desire to serve and to know you. And when you see this for yourself, then you begin the eternal process of coming to know Him since He already knows you. And you begin to know Him because He knows you, and you will say the right words, Lord, Lord, and you will do the right things. Didn't we cast out demons, etc.? But the people that did that were doing that for their own selfish means, you see. Not out of self-righteousness now will you do those things. Not out of self-deception, but in response to His great love. As the Bible says, we love because He first loves us. He moves and we respond. And so another sign of consecration is to know Him and to be known. And when we do, we give Him ownership of our total being. We don't come halfway. We give Him all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. And so He gets our words and He gets our actions and He gets our minds and He gets our wallets and He gets our habits and He gets our time and He gets our possessions and He gets what we eat. And He gets where we go. And He gets 24-7 of it. All to Jesus I surrender. And then in turn, He gives it back to you to be used for His honor and His glory. These all become things that we know because we possess them. We use them for His good. They don't possess us anymore as sometimes possessions can. We don't be... My goodness, help me. We don't become consumed with them. We use them. And we don't let them use us. Have you ever had something that you loved very much, whether it was a car or a house or a piece of clothing or something, and it breaks or falls apart or gets wet or your house ever flooded or whatever it was, your house burned down or whatever it is, and all at once you realize that was all just stuff. No matter how you slice it, it was stuff. And as long as you have yourself and your loved ones around you, then God is good. Because sometimes you might lose them too. If you're in a car accident and you go, look what happened to my beautiful car. You got out of the car and you walked away and you're alive from that car accident. Give God the glory. So these are possessions that you can use, but they don't possess you. And you stop letting the banker be your best friend that you don't owe Him anything, or you get out of your debt because you belong to Christ. And you're not deluded with self-deception, but we realize we are loved perfectly by our Savior in the midst of our imperfections. There was a great song by John Legend, two, three, it's probably four or five years ago now, and he, uh, I forget the name of him, All of Me, loved that song. And in there, he's got a line where he says, your perfect imperfections. I just love that. That's the way God looks at you. And he sees your perfect 
imperfections. Because if you're imperfect, they've got to be perfect imperfections. As far as imperfections go, they're perfect. And he loves you in the midst of your perfect imperfections. And then you can be surprised by joy, as the title of the sermon says. You are surprised that you have this joy of being loved in your imperfections by a perfect God and a beautiful Savior that he knows all about you and he loves you anyway. And you must no longer play hide and seek or deceive or act like you've seen the play, but you really haven't because you'll get to see a greater unfolding of eternity that's much better than Hamilton or any other play. We are loved because we are His, and we are loved as we are and because of Him and He who died for us. This is the Savior who calls you. This is the Savior who loves you. So no matter what's going on in your life and in your heart, you can start over again. You can renew yourself. You can move forward with Christ because He knows you and He longs to have you know Him back. So no matter where you are, where you've been, today is the day to start knowing Him all over again. I would like uh, additional time of prayer after church. One of the elders, elders will be down here after we dismiss for you to have that time if you need that. But I pray God will bless you this week. And let's pray now. Our Father, we thank you for the blessings of knowing you and of being known. Lord, it is a uh, a restless search to find you, and it's uh, only in you that we will find that rest. So I pray that we will come unto you, all of us that labor and are heavy laden, and allow you to give us that which you want to give us, which is rest, assurance, peace, your presence. Bless each one here, boys and girls and men and women. You know the cares of their hearts, the stresses they have, the situations. I pray you will bless each one and handle them, whether it be finances or health or family or car or housing, marriages, whatever it may be. May your peace be in the situation. Bless us, Lord, to know you. Thank you that we can allow ourselves to consecrate our lives to you and that you'll use us to your honor and glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.